If you've brought your Bibles, let's turn in those to Matthew chapter 5. I have a few uh, announcements and things I want to talk about before we, before we jump in here into the text. Uh, a couple things I just wanted to, to mention to you was um, really missed being here last week. And um, Okay, sounds like I'm really loud. Am I really loud? Feels really loud. Okay. Um, missed being here last week. Josh Foster and I had the privilege of being up in New Vineyard. And that, um, for some of you, automatically you, you hear that word and you think, promised land. No? Okay. I didn't either. So, But that's what they told me. Uh, last week, uh, Josh Foster and I went up to New Vineyard to preach at a church there that has asked us to kind of come alongside of them and do some coaching as they've walked through, kind uh, of go from real unhealth towards health. It's a pretty cool story overall, and uh, the elders were part of that and, and agreed that it would be valuable for me to go up and meet this church, spend time with them. I brought Josh instead of my family because I wanted them to know I was not candidating. Uh, I want you to know the same thing. I'm not candidating up there at all. I wanted them just to see that you know we were coming up as part of the Gospel Alliance to help provide some coaching and some life. There's, there's some backstory here to this one that I, I just think is kind of interesting because when you've heard Josh Adi tell his story, he's told you, uh, Pastor Josh, who was up here uh, a few minutes ago, about the church that he grew up in. And then it was a very um, painful, uh, dysfunctional place where they've taken really the gospel out and, and injected in instead a form of, of legalism, a form of, uh, of that. Well, Guess where his church was that he grew up in? New Vineyard. So what God's been doing through all this time, while he's been growing and helping Josh along, he's also been working here inside of the church. Now it's been painful. They've been through a lot. They just uh, survived a split a couple years back. And uh, that in and of itself, if you've been through that, you realize how damaging and how painful that is. And yet... It's really exciting to kind of see God working inside of this church and for them to say, we want to become Jesus-centered. We want to become um, gospel-focused. We're trying to get our feet back under where we should be. And would you come and would you, would you help us with that? So that was a really neat experience uh, to get to go up there. The other funny thing that you can just imagine is all of them remember Josh at 16 years old. So take the hair level, right, Heidi? I can say that, can't I? Take the hair level and just, you know, add twice or three or four times. And he, you know, they remember that. They remember him. And they're all asking kind of like little Josh Adi. And um, one of the things that we're doing as the Gospel Alliance is a few of us are going up there to try and help them figure out how do you pick a pastor? Try to help them figure out how do you move towards health? Most likely, one of the things that's going to happen here is Josh is actually going to go up and preach at that church at some point. God is in the process of transforming things. Not just in the future. We're not just holding on to the rails and hoping that heaven will come. I hope we realize that God is transforming things now. Not as completely as He will someday. But God is transforming things. And that has a lot to say to us today as we come to the Word. So I just want to let you know that. We also had a chance to stop off. I got to preach last Sunday night at a um, Baptist student fellowship at Bates College. 
And uh, that was a really neat thing. On Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we were part of pulling off the lead slash planted conference, which is uh, equipping for churches from from throughout the area. Had about 100 pastors, wives, families, uh, staff members that were were there for that down in South Coast. Uh, So really, again, productive, busy, uh, busy weekend uh, for us. So I know that there were a couple other things that were going on last weekend. And one of them involves uh, Jeff, Jeff Wright, and, and Jillian. And uh, Jeff, what did you guys do last weekend? Woo! So Jeff and Jillian got engaged last weekend, and then Jillian also got some other good news. She got a permanent job, right? So that was really exciting because Jillian, if you don't know, they've been dating from a distance. Uh, Jillian's grown up in Philadelphia, and Jeff and Jillian were, were growing there. And then Jillian moved up, what, six months ago? Yeah, four, four or five months. Yeah, so about four months ago, she moved up here and found a temporary job. But then God also supplied now a permanent position for her as a dental hygienist. So we're just really excited to see, to see that. One or two other things I wanted to just mention was... Um, Again, we're praying for the Wine family yesterday, a great day in Raymond. It's been amazing to see how we've had this chance to just, God's given us favor to connect with our community, and I hope that you guys will take every opportunity you can to be part of this. Yesterday there was a one-pitch softball uh, tournament. I'd never actually seen such a thing, uh, but it's actually baseball at a place that you can watch it. Um, since I'm not a baseball fan, it worked for me. And, uh, but you know, it was actually a really great day. You know, I think it was five teams that came out and competed against each other. They had a great time, and it also raised money towards uh, just supporting Sandy and Kathy, being a part of their life. This this whole community loves them. They really care about them. Uh, Sandy's just got illustration after illustration. So if you look at his little his, his white sneakers today, ask him about that because that's a change. Okay, that's a change. Uh, you don't mind me telling a couple of your stories, right, Sandy? Uh, just to praise God, to sit there and go, you know what? Sandy's an independent contractor. He owns his own business. And when you get sick and you can't work, there's no other big structure to oversee you. And uh, it's been amazing to see how the communities come along. One of his jobs backed out on him the other day. We think, oh, that's terrible. Well, actually, it's better, was what he was telling me. And uh, it frees up the schedule because he doesn't have to work. But then that person who backed out on the job showed up and brought over $200 uh, just to, to be able to give that to the family. So we're just seeing God provide in unique and exciting kind of ways for them. And I want to ask you guys to be praying, first of all, for Sandy and Kathy and for each of their sons, um, these amazing sons who are, who are fully engaged in this because one thing we know for sure is that they are going to have more and more opportunity to share who Jesus is through this. So I want to ask that you would just pray for them because that can feel weighty. I want to ask you to pray for them for that. I want to ask that you would pray for them as they continue to walk through these treatments here through, for pancreatic cancer. Uh, it's a weighty diagnosis and there's no doubt about that. Even just connecting with family, God's kind of reconnected Sandy with his family. And that's massive. I mean, if, you, if you've known what that's like, 
you realize how important that that is. And I know that Sandy would love to see his whole family come to know Jesus and love Jesus the way that he does. And so uh, we're thankful for you guys, and we're, we're praying for you. Uh, and we're going to keep, keep that up. So, again, you can find stuff on meals, uh, you know, to bring meals. There's just different ways you can get involved. If anybody wants to buy a sailboat, I know a guy who's trying to sail, the, sail a sailboat, and uh, he's going to use that generously. Um, so there's just different things that you can do um, to get involved with that. We want to encourage you to do that. Uh, be part of the community. Help out. It's one of the ways that we get to be involved. Other good news, again, just for, for Sarah and Don, we're praying for Sarah because I think all of you know that uh, just a week ago she was diagnosed with cancer on her liver. And uh, she was down this Friday for a PET scan and MRI. And um, thankfully those were clear so that we're not finding cancer anywhere else. So we're really grateful for that. So I don't hope you don't mind if I put you on the spot, though. You shared a little testimony about what Stephanie, what, what JD said to Stephanie the other day. Would you mind, can, or, or can I share that for you? If you could share that. I mean, that's just one of those awesome little things. So. Thanks for sharing that. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I didn't get to you right before. And Out of the mouth of infants, right? That speaks, and not just through pastors. That's why we're together. It's important to know that God's speaking, even through you together today. We come around each other. Uh, we need each other today. Especially as we come to a very... Uh, important topic this morning because um, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We've got a series and we're calling it When Jesus is Your King. And we're looking through, hey, what does it look like? What are, what are really good signs for me in my life when I find out that Jesus is my King? Let me pray for us and then we're going to look at this. Father, I thank You that what Sarah just said is so 
absolutely true. And she can speak on such good authority when she says this. That Sandy and Kathy can see exactly the same thing. And I know that there's others who are here this morning that need to know that. But you are not tied. Your hands are not held back. The government hasn't actually kicked you out. You are still the king of this world. And it means that you can provide what we need. And God, you love to do it. Now you don't give us what we've convinced ourselves are our needs. But you give us what we do need. And you do it so lovingly. So compassionately. God, you you bring healing to us. You bring hope to us. You provide financially for us. But you call us to really believe and trust you and and to lean on you and, and, and trust that you are a king. And God, that's hard for us. We really like to say that we're just tangible people who've got to see it, really. But the bottom line is that we are people who struggle to believe you and trust you. And that's been true throughout all of human history. So today we're asking that you would help us to believe you. Help us to trust you, especially with a statement like this. So we're looking forward to the way that you'll work in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 5, we we read this. But let me just read um, 1 through 4 just quickly. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples, they came to him. Uh, This is the Sermon on the Mount. Just a little precursor. Probably, it's, it's not for sure, but probably this is a collection of the things that Jesus taught, but not necessarily one complete sermon. Okay, It, it really doesn't matter either way. These ones probably all went together, but, but when you go chapters 5 through 7, it probably was just so much information that it probably wasn't something that all was one shot. Um, but, but this part, we're going to sit there and say, man, this, is, this was a, a unique teaching. Jesus sat down, his disciples came to him. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that's what we're looking at today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If I had to sum up what we're really going to kind of say here today is we're going to remember last week um, one of that, that word blessed, um, the beatitude there. We're going, to, we're going to look at that and say essentially God's saying congratulations. Congratulations to you if this is the way that your heart shows up. Congratulations. You could take these two first verses and say congratulations to you when you are able to see your sin and own up to it. Congratulations when you are able to see your sin and own up to it because you know what? There's a cure. There's a cure for this disease. That's our hope. So we really want to ask just a couple questions this morning. What do we mean by mourning? We want to ask, what does it mean to receive comfort? And finally, what does somebody look like when they live this way? Okay, so, so what do we mean by mourning? How do we receive comfort in all of this? And then... What does it look like when somebody lives this way? That's what we want to look at this. So let me go ahead. We're going to go to the, uh, the first slide here. And I want to just remind us that as we go into the Beatitudes, essentially my picture internally is they're like your bathroom scale. All right? What does your bathroom scale do for you? If you ever use it, if you even have one. 
the, the general idea of a bathroom scale is when you step on it, it should give you a pretty quick snapshot of your overall health. Now, most of us cringe, okay, when we, we look down on it. We, we try and think happy thoughts, and we try to maybe breathe in because we're hoping maybe it won't quite go down as far as it does, but it seems like I, my scale has never seen those numbers uh, or anything like that right now. But, but the Beatitudes are sort of like that, that bathroom scale. The idea is when we step onto it, we should be able to say very briefly, where am I? How healthy am I? How is this going? So it's really the bathroom scale of the soul, and it gives us a quick snapshot of the soul and its health. These two, like I said, really go hand in hand, these first two Beatitudes. Because the first one we talked about is being poor in spirit. It's not being financially poor. It's having that spirit that is humble enough, contrite enough, to be able to admit that I am a sinner. A lot of being poor in spirit probably is the cognitive side. It's the ability to finally admit and say, that's who I am, we're talking about me when we get to this passage. Its partner then is verse 4. Because there's a lot of people who walk around and they know this. You know, just like we know with our scale, right? <laughs> we look at it. We say, wow, that's not the number that should be on there. We step off, we step back on, we're like, that's the same number again. Okay, so, so I, I recognize that something is wrong. But can't there be a disconnect? We say, well, that's just the way it is. That's just what's wrong with me. That's who I am. And we walk away and say, someday I'm going to do something about that. It's different when someone gets on the scale and says, wow, something's wrong. And it begins to be infused with also the heart, right? the affection, the, the movement of the heart that not just goes, wow, something is wrong, but it's actually that motivation to change. So these first two go hand in hand because the first describes the cognitive part of my recognizing that this is who I am. I'm a sinner. But the second part, those who mourn, are those that are able to really mourn over their own sin. They're able to mourn over the sin in this world. They move from just objective consultation or thought into the, mo into the place of the heart. And we, you and I know how different that is, don't we? Between knowing something's wrong and having the motivation to do it. We love to hear the stories of people who have moved between those two places. So just keep that kind of in mind. Let's go to this first question. What do we mean by mourning? What do we mean by mourning? Let me just say this. Actually, we'll go back, Steve. We'll catch that one in just a second, okay? Um, Steve has to run this one for me, and I, I apologize to him because he doesn't get a whole lot. I told him we were going to change there. We're not going to change there yet. But, but what do we mean by mourning? Let me just simply say it this way. What it's not... What mourning is not, mourning is not um, mean, unhappy Christians walking around who just seem really angry and upset with the world. That is not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Amen? So if that's you, stop it. Um, because there's enough people out there who've already got that job description filled. And, and the world really doesn't need a whole lot more people like that in it. 
So we're not talking about that. He's not specifically, because this is a Sermon on the Mount, we get some clues, and it's important for us just to recognize, he's not simply talking to people who have felt the touch of pain recently, maybe the loss of a loved one. Yes, that's mourning. And yes, there's hope for them to be comforted. But that's not specifically what Jesus has in mind here. In fact, let me just say this. Or maybe we'll ask it this way. Is all mourning good? Is all mourning appropriate? Or are you going to say no? There, there are times where we can get something so wrapped inside of us that we begin to mourn something that's really not worth mourning that well. Uh, you know, an over-attachment, an over-connection to something. I'm not saying that that's where we're at all the time, but there are times where we just get so wrapped up in something that we need that. We, we feel like we're dying because we can't have that. My son, is Mark in here? Okay, I can, get a, I, can, I can just share real quickly. I try not to share a lot of illustrations of my son, but, of my kids, but, but the other day Mark really wanted to play a video game and his sister wouldn't play with him. So he came down in tears. Tears. And I said, what's wrong? I really want Caitlin to get to play this. And she won't play with me. I said, are you really concerned for your sister? We had to talk about it for a minute because he's tears. He's weeping. I said, are you really concerned about your sister? No. I know Mark's the only one who does this, right? But you see, not all mourning is appropriate. There are good times to mourn. Mourning is important. In a sense, our culture is so unaccustomed to mourning. We don't know what to do with it. I mean, if you were in here today and suddenly you saw somebody who is just silently weeping, I think a lot of us would be really uncomfortable. We wouldn't know what to do. We would feel like we need a counselor. We need somebody... Mourning, at least according to Jesus, may be very appropriate. And some of you may be heavy in heart today. And that's okay. What is Jesus talking about here? Basically, Jesus is saying mourning really is an intense sorrow over sin. An intense sorrow over sin. So now we'll go to that next slide, because what I want you to see when you see this tree is I want us to think through this. This intense sorrow over sin. Why? Why would it be good for us? Jesus is encouraging us to mourn. Why would it be good for us to do that? Well, let's think back. Let's think back to why we would need to have this intense sorrow over sin. And let's just go back. Some of you guys know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm hoping the tree kind of elicits that kind of mindset for you. A lot of us probably know the story pretty well. I want to ask a couple questions, and I love it when you guys are willing to help add into this. But we need to kind of frame the story a little bit, don't we? So let's think back to Adam and Eve. Maybe if you know your, your chapters of the Bible, you think Genesis 1 and 2. Okay. What was life like for Adam and Eve when they were first in the garden? From the, at the very beginning, what was life like? I say, happy. Okay, and what made it so happy? 
God helped them to be happy and there was no sin. So before there was sin, what are some of the other characteristics you think about for Adam and for Eve when they were in the garden? What made life happy for them? I'm looking for some of you guys to add in. No shame. And, and what do you mean by that, Tom? Because I, I think there's a lot of people who kind of, we, we struggle with that term shame. What does shame mean? What, what are you picturing when you think about that? Mm. Yeah. So that self-incrimination, that idea where I keep telling me, I shouldn't think like that. I shouldn't act like that. They didn't actually have to say that to themselves. What else? What are some other pictures that help us to kind of understand what life was like in the very beginning? Oh, let me, I'll, get, I'll get Elisa over here and we'll come back, Chad. I want to hear you say too. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, how does that how does that affect them as husband and wife? Yeah. Without sin, there was no selfishness in that relationship. No regret that had to come into there. I know there were a couple other hands to add into this. Chad, let me grab you real quick. Hmm. Yeah. No guilt, no remorse over wrongs, ways that they've hurt each other. How do you think that affects our, our relationships when we're married? Do you think guilt or remorse ever play into our relationships at all? Really? What, I was gonna say, okay, all the time. Yes, thank you, Heidi, for saying what everyone else should be exactly saying. Uh, so, Peter. Hmm. Okay, and why was that? Okay, well, and, but they did have some real meaningful work, right? So there, was, there were tasks that we can relate to when they were in the garden. Um, so, so but, but there wasn't worry. Imagine being able to work without worry. Imagine being able to make it through a day without, without worry. Who else? Did I see your hand up? Yeah. And where was God in the middle of all this? What, what does it say? What was the phrase that it talks about in Genesis? God walked with them in the cool of the day. We don't, we, we're always kind of kicking that around, wondering, boy, I wonder when the cool of the day was. Maybe it was a day like today. I don't know. But, but the cool of the day, God walked with them. So the reason they didn't have to worry was he was just constantly there providing. It's kind of like when you're a little kid and you're, you're with your parents, right? You go to a restaurant my kids don't ever sit there and think, oh, man, how am I going to pay for this? It's just not real big on their, on, their, on their meter, is it? I mean, parents, am I wrong? They, they're very, you know, they just feel like, hey, this is going to be taken care of. I don't have to worry about this. So life was good that way. What happened when sin entered the equation? Because we know that, that you know, we can say that they walked with God, right? And they lived a life that was perfect in every way. It's really the dream life that we all think about. Meaningful work, but not the kind of work that we do where what I turn my hands to doesn't turn out the way I want it to. Amazing relationship because they always knew that the other person only, always wanted to take care of them, even with God. And they could just build their lives on that. 
But there was a day where they came to the very center of the garden and there were two trees in the center of the garden and one of those trees was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the other one was the tree of life and they decided to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And essentially you could say that what they decided to do was they said, God, we can manage right and wrong for ourselves. We know how to handle this. We're grown up enough to do this. How did things change once they did that? Give a couple pictures. How did, how did things change since then? Okay, they lost their peace of mind. They lost their peace of mind. What else? Great, Cindy. Thanks. Tom. Yeah. Start looking out for yourself. How did that affect their relationship with each other? Let's just take a guess. Yeah, yeah. If I can stand on you, I'll be a lot taller here. All of a sudden, marriage went from me really looking out for you all the time to me really looking out for me all the time. Even the times where I think I'm really being generous, right? <laughs> if we trade them back, sometimes we think, wow, man, that's who I am. How did that affect their relationship with God? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, they did try to hide from God, right? And how did that change things with him? Yeah, there's this big gap between them and God. Do you think they went for the same walks in the cool of the day? No. Did God stop loving them? No, he did not stop loving them. What was the other thing that had to happen? Just as we think through this, let's just make sure we touch this. They covered themselves up with what? Fig leaves. How long was that going to last? Yeah, maybe maybe till the evening, right? I, I don't see many people making clothes out of fig leaves today, right? You know, it just doesn't seem like a long-range strategy. What did God cover them with? Animal skins. Where do you get animal skins from? animals and you probably you know it doesn't say it explicitly but you something had to die so how did that affect them and creation because remember adam and eve what was their job take care to be with there was no disconnect between them and creation no disconnect between them and creation and the creator and no disconnect between them and their spouse and suddenly all that was lost. Animals now had reason, creation had reasons to fear humanity. Why, why do I say this? Why do we need to point this out? Is that an isolated story in the Bible? Is that the only time that we saw someone isolated or separated from humanity or from God or from creation? No. I mean, think about it. What happened when Cain grew um, angry at Abel? He killed his brother. And remember that? That separation, having to hide, having to lie to God and having to lie to himself because he needed to have this done. Uh, you know, you think about it, Abraham, right? I mean, there's a lot of places in Abraham's life. We'll just pick on the time where he decided that in order to save his own skin, he'd try and hand off his wife to two other people at two other times, 
um, in order to try and save his own neck. How do you think that affected their relationship? Women? I don't know. Any feedback? <laughs> I, I have a feeling it created some stress. But, you know, I'm male, so I may not know these things. Um, l- let's, let's think about um, Moses when he killed the Egyptian. What was he hoping for? He's hoping for everyone to get on his, on his team, right? But what happened instead? Everyone turned on him. How about David? Obviously, one of the most famous places that David uh, sinned was with Bathsheba. And again, what did that create? It created distance between him and God. It created distance between him and his wives. It created distance for her. Her husband was murdered. Their child died. When we go through this whole story, we recognize boy, sin is painful. It is deadly to us. I want to remind you, though, what David said in that sin in Psalm 51, verse 4. Remember what his, his perspective was, was as he thought through this. So often when we think about sin in our generation today, the first thing we think of is how does it affect people? But David also admitted, God against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So sin separates us, not just from those around us, and it does a good job of doing that, doesn't it? If we were able to look back and see how that has affected our lives and our relationships, the tension, the pressure it's put onto those, that would be enough. But then when we realize, you know what, sin is first and foremost about my relationship with God. The giver. The creator, the lover, the one who cares for me perfectly. Because has God ever sinned? No. So, so go back to the garden in your mind for a second. Has God changed? No. God is still the same God. And, and I don't really care who you are here today. I mean, that's the important thing that we need to understand because some of us are going to be in here and think, oh man, see, I've blown it. See, it's, it's my fault. It's my weakness. I'm the one who's destroyed this. But let me just remind us today that we need to understand the reason Jesus says that if we mourn, we will be comforted, it's because He's saying that's the pathway to be reconnected. That's the path. There's a way. There's a door. There's a way that we can be connected. And the funny thing is the people who don't think they need it don't want it. But the people who realize that they need it, they're the perfect people. That's exactly who Jesus is talking to. So if in your brain you're thinking of an area of sin and you're thinking, man, that's, I know that. It grieves me. I've got good news for you today. I promise you. And you're not alone. Jonathan Edwards said this, I have affecting views of my own sinfulness and vileness very frequently to such a degree as to hold me in a, in a kind of loud weeping. 
so that I have often been obliged to shut myself up. In other words, I have to lock myself away because I'm just so struck by my sin. We might think, well, yeah, that's until he came to know Jesus. And then once he came to know Jesus, it all got better, right? And instead, he says, I have a vastly greater sense of my own wickedness and the badness of my heart than I ever had before my conversion. It is, the, it is affecting to think how ignorant I was when a young Christian of the bottomless, infinite depths of wickedness, pride, hypocrisy, and deceit that was left in my own heart. Can you feel that? Do you know that? Do you recognize that? If you understand that feeling and you step on the scale, the scale is going to tell you, you know what? (laughs) You're in a very healthy place. How long has it been since you've really been struck by your own sin? I mean, how, how long has it been since you were more concerned about your sin than the sins of the ways that others have treated you? That's the that's the scale. That's the that's the health check. Okay? The poor in spirit, they cannot help but move on to mourning. They don't just understand that there's a problem. They're touched. They're moved to that. Weekly. And I mean that W E A K. Weekly. They're 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 broken. They can just admit, I'm not good at this. God, if you want a perfect person, I'm not good at that. But if you're willing to have somebody like me, I can tell you, God, I'm broken. Which place are we in? What I want us to really understand here is when we're set free from hiding, because what happens is sin causes us just like Adam and Eve in the garden, to move from being authentic and being known into a place where what I have to do is I have to pull myself back. I have to isolate myself from others because if they knew, what would happen? If God knew. So what I need to do instead, I need to fix this. <laughs> All right, you know, some of you guys know this, this thing. There's a problem. I need to fix this before Dad finds out. And if I can fix it, then we can be right. Or if at least I can show them I'm working on it, that I've, I've made progress in this area. So what we tend to do is come to Christianity and think, okay, Jesus tells me the rules, I'll work hard at the rules, and I'll show them that I'm really serious. Sometimes when we face our own sin, what do we do? Like we talked about two weeks ago, we sit there and think, all right, I'm going to do some penance. I'm going to pay for this. It's not what Jesus is calling for. He's calling for people who are willing just to be open and honest and transparent about their brokenness with him. (laughs) Remember that dad? Jesus helped me in my unbelief. Jesus was pleased with that. It's when people don't need his help. That's when we struggle. We can be set free We can be set free from hiding who we really are and the sins that so easily entangle us and we can be free to be authentic. We can be free to be authentic before God and we can be free to be authentic with others. 
But sin does get in our way. When was the last time that you were able to just identify an area of sin with your spouse that you just thought, you know what, this is my issue. Because what, what does sin do? It, you know, it's always God's timing in all these things, isn't it? This very week, um, I was blessed by a friend who loves me dearly to be called out on an area of sin in my life. And I have to face that. And to mourn over that. And what's your, what's your thought process when you're in it, right? Oh, well, if they had only said it this way. Or maybe they're thinking this. What, what does sin tend to do? It turns it around and makes it somebody else's fault. It wants to hide it. It wants to preserve its life. It wants to count out why God has not been fair to me at this point. Amen? Do you know that? Do you recognize that in your own life? Sin wants to take the eye off of, off of my soul and turn it anywhere else. That's what my soul that's what my flesh, that's what I want to do. But I was blessed this week to have somebody do that for me. To be loved that way. And to be able to really fight hard to be able to embrace the reality that when God busts us, it is love. It is mercy. When He points out where we are broken, it's because He is like, say, Sandy or Sarah's doctor. It's as loving as you can possibly be to say this is your disease and we need to treat it. That's what God's doing. That's why Jesus says, congratulations. If your heart is mourning, congratulations. Ray Ortland said, spiritual high five. Whap. That's God's reaction. Let me also point this out. This is a continuous tense. He's not saying, hey, at one point in my life, I remember the day. Back in, you know, 19, blah, 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 um, I remember feeling a deep weightiness about my sin. So I came to the Savior and He washed me and I'm free. That's not the, the point here. This is a continuous tense. This is somebody who is ongoing. Those that keep mourning over their sin. So remember, go back to our original definition. This doesn't make us glum, sour people. It doesn't mean that we don't laugh and have fun. It, just as much as it would be totally inappropriate for me to walk around with my bathroom scale everywhere. It would just be kind of strange, you know, if I walk in the office, put it down, step up on it, take a look at it. You know, you walk in the grocery store, you get some bananas, you put that on, you're like, well, that's going to add right there, so I better put them back. You know, it, it, w it wouldn't be right to do that. God is not calling us to be this sullen, uh, crowded people. But on the other hand, in our culture today, do we ever stop? You know, we got music playing that tells us God just loves us all the time. We, we got all these things. And some of these things are true, but we also need to have hearts that are responsive to say, God, what do you say? 
what I want to encourage us with is that God's calling us to be people who see our spiritual brokenness and He's going to help us have hearts to be able to handle it. I think most of us are not actually capable of handling the amount of sin that's still inside of us. And some of that is very loving on God's part because He says you couldn't handle it. If I just, if I just showed you who you were, it would be crippling to you. So I'm going to walk you through very carefully. I'm going to help you through every step here. So let's ask this question. How do we receive comfort? How do we receive comfort? We can go to that next slide. I just want to use this image. How do we receive comfort? How in the world, when we mourn, how can we be confident that we will be comforted? I think we need to understand and recognize that there is a provision that is greater than all of our sin. All. And I don't care who you are. You may be internally going, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I can say, I don't. But I can say, I know our Savior. And I know that when God lays down His life for us, Instead of being the God who says, you won't follow the rules, I will make you mourn. He's the God who says, I want to help you mourn because I will comfort you. I have a provision for you. And through the sacrifice of Jesus, sin's penalty has been paid for. I think what happens is we grieve over our sin We see how offensive those sins are to God. But then we look and we see Jesus took the penalties for sin and He actually gave to us His righteousness. Um, John Newton has this poem. And it just says this. He said, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed His loving eyes on me as near His cross I stood. And never till my dying breath will I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt that plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. But with a second look he said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. Thus, while his death my sin displays for all the world to view, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. And catch these words. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit is now filled that I should such a life destroy and yet, yet live by Him I killed. Pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit is now filled that I should such a life destroy, yet live by Him I killed. Jesus, in His sacrifice, pays the penalty that my sin deserves. The second thing we need to recognize here, though, is Jesus in His sacrifice also gives us power over the presence of sin. So Jesus is not just sitting back idly and saying, you'll never change. I just forgive you. 
Instead, Jesus is saying, I am empowering you to be different. You don't have to be the same. I can change you. Do you believe that? You know what? Some of us struggle to believe that. I want to call you to believe that this week. That's what the picture of baptism is. You have died to sin. It is no longer a master over you. You're no longer a slave to sin. Guess what? You can actually choose to be an instrument of righteousness. We talk about free will a lot, right? Before you're saved, there really is no free will. Once you're saved, there's actually freedom to be able to say, I am now going to act as an instrument of God. I'm going to let Him play me. I'm going to let Him find out what kind of music He can make with me. Because I've heard an awful lot of what my flesh and what the devil can do with me. I want to find out now that you know what? In the right hands, my life is really valuable. There is a reality, and, and that's why these, um, these statements are over here. This new creation one. Someday Jesus' death on the cross is going to save us from the very presence of sin. It will be no more. You will go back to where Adam and Eve were in the garden and you will no longer even have the presence of sin. Isn't that amazing? And it will still be you. Not, not some other you. You. This body that you are currently in will be changed. So two perspectives I just want to remind us of here and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. First of all, I want to just remind us because that comfort flows out of what Jesus has done for us. First of all, Tim Chester reminds us this. Growing in holiness is not sad and dutiful drudgery. It's actually about joy. It's discovering true joy. The joy of knowing and serving God. Remember Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day in the garden with God? Guess what? If you're a Christian, you get to walk in the cool of the day with God. Right now. It's not about drudgery. It's not about duty. It gets clarified uh, maybe in this next statement. Change is all about freedom. Change. When we see our sin, it's not because God wants us to focus on our sin. It's instead that He says, I want to free you from that. Doesn't feel like that. <laughs> Doesn't feel like that. But when he confronts us with our sin, what he's saying is, I want to give you freedom. I want to free you up. So holiness is not about giving up what we find to be good so that we can please God. In other words, earn his favor. Holiness is about God calling us to the good life. We are set free from slavery to sin to be who we should be. To be who we've always wanted to be. To be free to actually care about the people around us more than we care about ourselves. To be free to walk in openness with God. Even though we're going to continue to sin, to be able to walk and have this clarity, this cleanness that just says, God, help me. That's what God wants for us. So comfort, when we truly mourn, you know what? That's when the Spirit will actually reveal to us the true beauty and the satisfaction of Christ. So we might think, well, isn't this a little overstated? You know, should I really mourn? I mean, can't I just feel bad for a second? Um, there, there's some great stuff. I know Josh wrote a, a, a really good article on it um, uh, from John Owens. 
uh, perspective on how we deal with this. And maybe we'll repost that this week on the on the blog. Um, but what I want to point to us is is also just James four real briefly here. In James four, four he says, "You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, he makes himself an enemy of God." Do you see where the freedom comes in? Instead of becoming God's enemy, we become God's friend. Or do you suppose it's no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He's made to dwell in us, but He gives us more grace? Therefore, it says God's op- God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That's the spiritually poor, isn't it? So what's the application? Verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So it's not overstated. Jesus isn't just speaking metaphorically here. There's places where we need to really just confront our sin for what it really is and let the Spirit drive that down. And instead of deflecting it, instead of acting like it's someone else's problem, we need to be able to go and simply say, that's me. God, this is what I've done to you. God, this is what I've said about you through this thought or through this action. This is what I have preached about you to others because of this in my life. And we need to come to the point where we truly repent then we need to speak grace but some of us want to jump right to forgiveness we want to jump right to to this freedom and sometimes we need to really understand the diagnosis well imagine what a difference it would be if if i'll pick on sandy because i know he always lets me do this but if he walked away thinking all right i've got a little issue it's like a cold and if I can just take a pill or two, I'm going to be all better. We would stand around him and say, dude, that's not realistic. And it wouldn't help him. Because he might walk out taking an aspirin for pancreatic cancer. You can't do that. Instead, he's on a far more powerful medicine. <laughs> it takes seven hours to get all this crap into him. And he's got to pay for it dearly. And yet, the hope that comes from that to know that there's a, there's, there's a work that's going on inside of him. We can't just skim it. Hard as it is, we need to really come to that and say, Jesus, what do you see? Jesus, what do you see? Bottom line, what does this look like? This is our last question. What does it look like? Let me shortly just say this. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. What sort of man is this guy who, who, who mourns and yet's comforted? Well, he's sorrowful. But he's not morose. He's sorrowful, but he's not miserable. He's serious. But he's not solemn. Question or two for you. Have you ever seen your sin this way? If we haven't, one of the hard questions we've got to wrestle with is, are you actually a Christian? 
if we haven't come to that point, if we've never really sat there and said, wow, my sin is against you and you alone, God. We want to help you walk through that if you've got questions about that. Second question is, have you encountered this recently? Some of us avoid the scale (laughs) because we don't like what it told us last time. We're afraid it's going to tell us the same thing now. So what do I do? I just don't consult with it. It's very possible that some of us say, I don't like what, my, what, what I heard about myself, about my anger, the fact that I can't forgive this person, the fact that I'm controlling, the fact that, that um, my life is built around what I get to do when I get home that I live for something other than Jesus. My addiction. Whatever that area is, are we willing to come to Christ and simply say, Jesus, what do you see? And can you help someone like me? Last question is, when you are forgiven, will you act like you're forgiven? When Jesus says, I've paid for that, will you let go and believe Him? One of the gifts that God gives to us is the people that are around us to help us. And sin isolates us from Him and from His gift of community. We want all of us to be willing to just walk together. To have the freedom to finally be who we really are. And then have people know that people are going to accept us. They're going to love us and they're going to help us. And the, and the only big problem is when we won't admit who we really are and we won't let others help us. Freedom is what Jesus is calling to. Father, help us to, uh, to live in that freedom today. Pray that your Spirit would move powerfully inside of us. Lord, if there's people who, you know, who really have not dealt with an area, I pray that you would just rise to the top because you love them so much. And I pray that you would do that for their good. And I pray that they would be able to trust you, that you do it for their good. I want to ask that you would be with, um, with some who feel crushed by this. And I pray that they would be able to have the faith to believe you that when you said you paid for it, it's done. God, let them let go. And Lord, if there's some who don't even know it's there, I pray that you would hold up the mirror of your word to their souls and to their lives. I pray that your spirit would hold up his mirror to their life and let them see where this cancer resides so that they can be healed. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. I thank you that even though we have to admit we were so bad that you needed to die for us, we also have to reckon with the reality that you are so you love us so much that you were glad to die for us. Help us hold that together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let us sing with mournful